we're talking about an industry that that goes back to the 1990s. Um, but it's an industry that has not changed in terms of process. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about an interesting business ready for change and innovation, tax-free shopping. Anyone that's traveled overseas has seen or experienced the offers of refunding sales tax to encourage tourism exports, but the process for reclaiming those refunds is painful. I can speak from experience having purchased maybe more watches than I should have from Germany last year. The offer was compelling, but in actually 50% of the cases, I didn't finish the process for getting the refund just because it was such a pain in my rear. So to help us, we're lucky to have Amir Jumaboy, co-founder and VP of consumer technology for UTU in Singapore. Amir, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chad. It's uh, great to be here and to share more about what we at U2 are doing. But firstly, I just want to say, hope you and your loved ones are doing well as we enter this festive period. Man, it's been a wild year. It has has been a dumpster fire of a year for many. Yes, absolutely. But there are positives coming out of it and, you know, vaccines here. And Dick, you know, I don't know how anybody could truly be upset during the holiday season. I think it just hopefully is is a great ending to the year for everybody. And I hope for you and yours as well. Thank you. So before we jump into the topic of the day, we always like to ask our guests a question to help our audience understand them a little bit better. And based on the year that we've had, <laughs> I've recently changed this question. Yeah. So when you look back over the last year, what's the largest lesson you, you learned and took away from kind of the trials and tribulations that we had this year? Yeah, I'd uh, definitely say that while it uh, has been a year that's been incredibly challenging for so many businesses and lives, Um, I think what I've learned is that it's so important to take the time to celebrate every little victory. You know, even things we might have traditionally taken for granted. As an example, I go to this little local coffee shop near my office almost every day. And I've gone pretty friendly with the owner. And I told him one day, you know, that we're in travel tech. And out of the blue, he made this nice design on my coffee foam cappuccino. (laughs) And uh, the design was of these wings. And he wrote on my cup, uh, you know, May 2021, see a return to tourism and for you to soar higher. And, you know, it was just nice. Uh, it, it's a small gesture, but it just goes a long way in times like this. And I've started to really appreciate these things a lot more. It's been a, a year, I would say, of reflection and a lot of introspection. Absolutely. When we work with customers, we've we've implemented this process even in our virtual workshops and we work with customers of starting each day with a gratitude exercise. And when we urge them to go mm-hmm. beyond puppies, rainbows and, and unicorns and to really dig deep and figure out what it is that you are truly grateful for, because it has such positive impacts. And I think focusing on the little wins is, is a big lesson for everybody from 2020 and going into to 2021. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, for our listeners, how about we give them a little bit of more context around you two, kind of what you do and where the idea for the company came sure. from? Sure. So we're a, a kind of funny company in the sense that my co-founder is my dad, <laughs> uh, which makes a, a very interesting dynamic, uh, both at home and at the office. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he has decades of experience in the tax-free shopping industry, um, and, and he was key in building the two major players in the space. 
We started U2 together, born out of a belief that the industry needed to go towards B2C and really create and curate human experiences around what you pointed out earlier is a rather painful VAT refund process. So, so that's kind of what got us into the space. And what we do are a couple of things product-wise and, and what I would say most importantly, uh, we start by giving an 85% refund versus what you get today, which is about 60% with the current system. With the cooperation of stores and brands, we're able to actually deliver a full 100% value of the refund for a second sale in store. And what kind of has allowed us to go down this direction are the European Union statutes that really say that the tax credit belongs to the tourist. And with you know, Europe's push towards free market and customer choice, uh, we've been able to deliver this entire package in a easy to understand mobile experience. Um, I know that's a bit loaded. People often ask me, oh, do you have a 30 second elevator pitch for what you guys do? And it's a very complicated and niche industry and, and I don't. So maybe, maybe that's a 45 second version. <laughs> well, we could, I mean, let's step them through it, right? Because I think anybody, a lot of our audience, I mean, of course we're going pre-COVID, but I mean, I had 168,000 air miles last year. Many of the, our listeners traveled internationally as well. Mm-hmm. I myself often take advantage of, of those tax-free shopping experiences, either for gifts, which I'm really hurting for the holidays this year, just because. I didn't travel internationally, yeah. but also because I have a watch issue. I, I, I really, I don't know why I need as many watches as I have, but uh, I always buy them overseas when I go, but let's start with kind yeah. of a basic description for the audience of that tax-free shopping industry. What, what is it kind of give the, the, we'll start and kind of go step by step. What is the industry? How does it work? Yeah. What was, what was it designed to do? Okay, so the VAT refund industry or tax-free shopping industry started because countries saw an opportunity to promote tourist exports and spending within the country by refunding value at a tax or what we know as VAT. And the logic for this kind of came in the following way. If you take a cargo ship that goes to Italy, picks up a thousand handbags and leaves, that's counted as a VAT-free export. And if you kind of take it one step further, it's not dissimilar to a thousand passengers, each of whom buys a handbag and leaves the country via plane. It's just a different medium. So what they said is, okay, let's extend this concept of VAT-free exports to the tourism market, but there's an added benefit from tourism, uh, what we call the multiplier effect, that tourists are not just coming to shop in your country, but they're visiting your attractions, they're staying in your hotels, they're eating in your restaurants. So there are more economic activities that accrue from tourism. So if you think about it, it really is an added benefit uh, to the tourism retail industry. Because Europe and most of the the world's refunds, 85% of them are done in Europe, Europe has been very pro-customer choice, and hence they have allowed the free market to handle these refunds. But as you pointed out, Chad, it's caused over the years a very difficult user experience where tourists are finding that they're getting very little for their refund, um, roughly 60% of what they're due. And there's a whole manual paper-based process, uh, which I don't know if that would be interesting for your audience to listen to, but... Oh, it's painful. um, It's painful as hell. It's it's painful. I'm even scared to start talking (laughs) about it because it's painful. And and that's what we're really trying to, to take away is that problem of doing a few things. One, getting less than what you deserve. Two, uh, taking away the queuing up of tourists at multiple counters at the airport. And three, 
seeing and finding ways for us to work with governments to help to digitize the experience, to make it a truly end-to-end -end process uh, that people can enjoy. I, I don't see why shopping and this kind of last mile piece of the tourist shopping experience should be this difficult because you're going on holiday, you want to be in a good mood, you want to leave in a good mood. Um, and I can't tell you the number of faces of tourists I've seen who are just upset because they've either potentially even missed their flight or are running, you know, from uh, right. customs to, to their gate to make their flight. And it's it's just something that we're trying to solve in our own way. Well, and I remember, I mean, literally last year I, I bought a, a tag hour watch and I they the gentleman was attempting to explain to me the three places in the airport I was going to have to go. And I'm like, yeah. I, I just basically said, you know what? I like the watch enough that I don't want to deal with mm. that and just split. Mm. Like, I was like, I'm out. And so I'm curious, yeah. this is, it seems to me to be such a huge potential economic driver for the, for the countries that embrace it. Why do you think yeah. to this point it's lagged behind other industries in terms of embracing a mobile friendly uh, customer experience centric approach? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say is countries are taking a forward-thinking approach, and I'm starting to see many countries actually embrace the digital piece on the custom side, and that's something that we're very appreciative for. So Italy, France, for example, those governments are pushing towards digitization for their government processes. I think where, say, the bottlenecks have started to come in have been on the tax-free operator side, and these are private companies uh, who are fairly sizable. In our industry, there are two large companies that control, you know, 90 plus percent of the market. And I think, you know, to go back to your question, why has this industry lagged behind others? Um, I see the two reasons. The first is that the industry was born in the 1990s. So we're talking about pre-iPhone, pre-smartphone. And the only place to get refund forms to tourists was in shops. So current processes have been built on top of this logic. So paper forms are still handed out in stores. This will change and has started to change, but I think that segues into the next component of this question, which is the business model. So because of various costs associated with running you know, these manual systems that we've been talking about, the operators, and you can count them on less than, than one hand, have liberally taken more from tourists as the years have gone by. So you know, the, the second real issue is this entrenchment in a business model that may not be the right one in a world that has gone B2C, that has gone mobile, and that has leveraged digital tools to empower people to make choices. So that that would really be it. And so when you think about, so so as I, I approach it from the the tourist standpoint, right? From somebody who's going mm -hmm. through these shops, I go to, to Ireland or Singapore or wherever, and I, I spend a lot of money in the country as well, seeing the sites and doing that, but also that tax-free shopping is very attractive but what i have never understood is where's mm -hmm. the intersection between the brands you know ta mm -hmm. and i'm, I'm going to use watches just because that's what i know i don't i don't carry bags <laughs> so so yeah. tag and omega and and all of these types of brands where's the intersection between the brand the government and the consumer in terms of i mean it seems to me it's it's very convoluted and creates a friction point so do you have to not only get the government's on track with this, or is this where you have to also marry brand influence as well? So this is where it gets really interesting, right? So on the custom side, in order to operate a VAT refund system, you need to be integrated with the customs of that specific country. 
and, and you have to work with, with the governments to be able to do that. And, and as I said, governments have started taking a very proactive view on this and are now digitizing fairly quickly. When it comes to the brands, it's kind of interesting because as I said, the brands have traditionally been the place where the tax refund operators form has been handed out to tourists. Uh, but again, this is, we're talking about a, a concept that goes to pre-iPhone. What we actually did over the summer, uh, and what I would say is U2 has used this year quite wisely, is to really drill deep and understand uh, the regulations around who owns the tax credit. And so we raised a inquiry to the Italian uh, Antitrust and Monopolies Commission. And my apologies, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it in Italian because I don't want to <laughs> potentially offend okay. any of our Italian audience. Uh, but we raised the inquiry to ask, you know, to whom does the tax credit actually belong? And what we found out is that based on the European Union regulations, that tax credit is owned by the tourist and the tourist is free to choose or not to choose a refund operator. So that unlocks the B2C opportunity where today what we're saying is, you know, dear Mr. Tourist, yes, you can get your refund from the shop. But you don't necessarily have to use the refund operator who gives you that piece of paper because it is just a credit and it's a credit that you own. So you should theoretically be able to assign it to any operator who gives you the best deal, right? Don't forget, this is about driving tourism exports. It's about getting people to spend more in the country. So what we do when working with brands, and this kind of goes back to, to the whole value chain, is we want to work with the brands by doing two things. One is we want to help tourists to receive more of their refund, right? But we also want to help brands to sell more because you're going to just buy that tag for your watch, right. right? Let's go back to your example, right? What if I told you, Chad, hey, on this tag for your watch, you're going to get the full value of your refund and you can use this immediately to buy a wallet that I'm going to set, sell you that's also a Tag Heuer wallet. Now, I know Tag Heuer doesn't necessarily make wallets. No, but, but I'm with you. I'd buy it. We, we want you to spend more at Tag Heuer, right? So I've achieved the objective of the brand, which is to sell another item. I've achieved the objective of the tourist is to feel like they have gotten more for their shopping in terms of the refund amount. And I've achieved what the government wants to do, which is to keep money being circulated in the local economy. So I've actually then aligned everybody's in incentives in a nice intersection through a mobile experience. So complicated answer, I know, but the idea is to really stitch these three actors together to bring a lot more value to each. Well, and, and I think for the, anybody who's experienced and some, I'm sure some listeners are like WTF, like what? But for anybody in the audience who's traveled internationally and you've done this more than once, I mean, because I know I have over the eight, let's just not talk about how many years, but a lot of years that I've traveled internationally, every time that I get that little piece of paper, I literally do a mental calculation. Do I want yeah. to go through, is, is it a refund enough that I want to go through all the steps necessary? Whereas to your point, Let's, I mean, let's change it. If it were a different brand and, and right there in a mobile experience, right there in the shop, I can receive that credit. I would 85% of the time be more inclined to add 
to my initial purchase. So the size of my purchase goes up, the bundling for the brand yeah. goes up, the economic impact for the country goes up. And the question I've, I've always wondered, because I mean, I think you and I have probably been in digital about the same amount of time. Why in the world did somebody not figure this out before? I'm kind of curious, and I know I'm off script here, so this is a totally unscripted question. But, no but from your perspective, what's kept this from happening before now? I, I, I think, you know, Again, we're talking about an industry that, that goes back to the 1990s, but it's an industry that has not changed in terms of process, but the people who have helped to build up the industry have changed. This is where I would really kind of say I'm very thankful to have somebody like my dad who's actually owned and built both the two big companies in the space, right? And he's essentially taken his experience and knowledge to craft you know, these products like our 100% refund proposition. Right, to be able to understand that the right of the refund belongs to the tourist. And then it's a question of saying, how do you reward the tourist for a second spend? So it really takes a, a nuanced understanding of the industry, uh, a nuanced understanding mm-hmm. of how the industry got here to be able yep. to create a different suite of products that are built for today's world. And I think really the secret sauce is because my dad understood the concept of the fact that the tax credit belongs to the tourist. That has allowed us to build the concept of the 100% refund, the second sale, and really theoretically, if you think about it, start to harmonize and take advantage of the tourism multiplier effect by bringing in a whole host of other actors into the refunding ecosystem, you know, such as restaurants, attractions, and allowing them to give tourists a reason to shop or spend their money at these attractions, at these restaurants. So, so I think it's really a question of experience, Chad, more than anything. Well, and I think you have then the, the perfect combination, right? Somebody who grew up in the industry helped define it within your father. And then somebody who I'm going to assume, and, and if I am incorrect, please, I, I mean, no disrespect, for, correct me, but somebody who grew up in a digital world and, and understands that it really can break down those friction points between individuals and businesses and those experiences. And I think that's a great confluence of, of experience, talent, and insight that I think YouTube benefits from that I'm not seeing as a tourist in any of the other solutions or attempted solutions that are out there. And so when I think about how you go to market, when, mm-hmm. when you go to market to get the tourists on board, to get the brands on board, do you have, do you have a partnership group? Is it partnership based? Is it really pushing the mobile platform? Like what does that go to market strategy look like? Yeah, so the the go-to-market strategy, um, I'd like to think of our platform as multi-sided. There's a B2B component and there's a B2C component, and each needs to be treated differently. Yet we think that the human experience across both sides needs to be empathetic, firstly, and empowering, secondly. On the B2B side, we hold a deep belief as a company that it's going to be local people who understand their own markets. And so we have tended to hire local and contribute to the local economy by building local partnership teams. So we've been spending a lot of our time building lean, small, technologically enabled sales teams. For onboarding tourists and user education, uh, you know, I I think social media is great for sure, but it's a little bit of a scattergun approach sometimes. (laughs) So, uh, you know, what we believe in is is partnerships with companies uh, who believe in our mission and are looking to make a difference in the human experience of cross-border travel as well. 
Yeah, you know, I have to I have to tip my hat to you, Amir, because I was literally I was talking to Stephen Denny earlier today. He's one of the co-authors of Unfiltered Marketing, and they did a four-year quantitative research project on people living in a digital world, kind of all of a sudden giving up trust. Like there's this declining sense of trust with institutions as a result of the digital. And and one of the things that we talked about extensively was this concept of extreme credibility and, and a value-based approach and having companies that actually do have a value-based backing for the way that they execute. And that to me sounds like exactly what you're doing. And I just wanted to recognize it uh, and applaud it because I think it is going to set the stage for the types of brands that companies engage with as we go into 2021 and beyond, not only because of what we've been through, but just because the digital medium itself can sometimes be a little bit mm, convoluted, shall we say, and not particularly trustworthy. So I just wanted to recognize that and applaud that for you bringing to life a value-based, what, what I'm viewing is a value-based approach uh, to the business, feeding the local economies, making sure that you are enabling the tourists and, and you're speaking my language when you talk about, you know, that customer experience. So, so hats off to you for that. And I just, as a tourist myself, just want to take the opportunity to say, thank you. Thank you. You know, Chad, what I, what I really do believe is, is business is done between people. It's done in a handshake. That's how it was done 2000 years ago. It's still how uh, we should do things today. And I think there is so much value and so much learning we can get from each other. Uh, once that handshake is made that you don't get, you know, through uh, social media or or even sometimes to some extent, and I know we're on Zoom right now through Zoom, but, you know, quality time with people, being able to understand their pain points and, and for them to understand your pain points really helps to develop a better uh, relationship. And from that comes better solutions that we can then, you know, bring to market as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. And the first is simply as a co-founder uh, 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 of you two, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people. So I'm sure like many others out there, you're getting requests, more and more requests for time on your calendar. And I'm always curious, we know that referrals and introductions are obviously the most effective way to get into organizations to talk to people. But when somebody doesn't have that, when they don't have somebody walking in the door and saying, hey, you really need to talk to this person, what do you find to be most effective at capturing your attention and earning the right to time on your calendar? Whoa, Chad, uh, it's a pretty loaded question. I'll try, <laughs> I'll try my best to answer. It is loaded. <laughs> so, you know, you know there, there, there are times when I pitch to other people and there are other times when I'm being pitched to. So in the second scenario, what I really appreciate is uh, someone who has taken the time to learn about my business and perhaps play around with my app or read my website before they make their opening pitch. And I say that I say that because I'd like to think that I take the same level of care when I am pitching to a prospective brand, for example. You know, I ask myself questions while doing my pre-sales research, such as what are the issues that is this brand facing in their tourism retail business? Can my technology help them? What are the stones under their feet? And, you know, what is perhaps preventing them from thinking differently about the tax refund space? What is the customized pitch that I can make to them? Let me tell you an experience I had this morning, in fact, quite timely. Uh, where I was pitching our business to a top-tier venture capital firm. And the first thing the person I was speaking to said was, hey, I love your UI UX, and I've spent the past half an hour checking out your app. And I can't tell you how much this meant to me, because I could tell this individual was a real pro, even though I was pitching to him about our business. 
Um, and that just puts, you know, things on the right foot. Um, it develops that sense that, hey, the other person cares about me and I care about them. And I think it's so important not to lose that as we, you know, make our relevant sales pitches. Well, let's let's talk about your app for a second, because I, I have to say now, just between you and me, our audience is putting on their earmuffs right now. I'm not really a teal guy. And we okay. use a lot of teal. <laughs> we, we use a lot of teal in our stuff. But I do have to tell you, your app is quite impressive. So if anybody listening does not understand the concepts of what we're talking about when how this tax free works. If you download the UTU app, you're going to notice that there's videos in there that very simply point out how this works, how it's going to benefit you. You want to talk about seamless and focused on you as a tourist or a traveler. Highly recommend that you download the app. It is very slick, very well designed. Uh, I mean, the joke inside of the designer community and those that listen have heard me say this before is we can argue about should it be blue or should it be teal? But the design of it itself is extremely informative, extremely easy to access. Um, and so really highly recommend anybody who's not following uh, what Amir and I are talking about, download the app. It'll answer a lot of your questions. Uh, so I, I appreciate that response, Amir. Thank you for sharing that. So when you think about sales and marketing people in general, and you think about one piece of advice, just, just one yep. that you could give them that you feel like would help them crush their targets. What would it be and why? So, you know, I, I really love sports, Chad. You know, I, I played sports in school. You, uh, um, yeah, not just sports. You come on now. I think you're being a little, I think you're holding back there. My understanding no. is you were pretty <laughs> impressive. No, you know, I've I, I just, I just always grown up with a sports culture uh, in my family. I used to play soccer for my school. And what I love about sports in general, in almost every single game you play, is that there are constantly changing dynamics. And I genuinely believe that success comes about by being able to adjust and adapt to these ever-changing dynamics. So I would say, if I were to have one bit of advice, and maybe these are a few words of advice, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty here. Oh, please do. Be flexible, adaptable, but most importantly, be empathetic when you're trying to make and close a sale. And I think that this word empathetic becomes even more important um, as we look to adjust to a post-COVID world. Uh, you know, once we get back to a point where we're all healthy, where we're all meeting each other again, just remember to be empathetic and, and understand what the other person has gone through, what they're going through, and craft a specific response that will help them. And I think your sales target will come about through that because I always believe that you hit your targets by making the right decisions. Absolutely love it and could not agree more. I mean, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again for taking time so close to the holidays. I, I really appreciate it. And just again, want to say thank you. No, and, and thank you so much, Chad. This has been a great discussion. I'd like to take this opportunity just before uh, you know we close to wish everybody who's listening health and safety for this festive season. And I hope that 2021 will be a new chapter for all of us. And I can't wait to meet, you know, some of you perhaps on, on, on your travels next to Europe when you're uh, trying out our tax-free system. Absolutely. And so if there are people that are interested in learning more about you two or, or speaking with you, where do you, where would you like us to send them? Sure. So, um, you know, listeners can follow us on YouTube's uh, social media and we're on pretty much every major platform. But if people are interested in listening to my rants about my soccer team who are doing terribly <laughs> this year and the occasional nuggets of wisdom, or uh, I don't even know if it's wisdom, but, but uh, thoughts about our industry, 
uh, you can find me on uh, my personal Twitter handle as well. Perfect. I thank you so much, Mir. I can't thank you enough. Hey, thanks, Chad, and uh, happy holidays. Uh, happy holidays to you, my friend. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, family, coworkers. Let your kids listen to it instead of getting their faces stuck in screens over the holidays. Everybody have a wonderful holiday season and a great new year. Until next year, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.